Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. please to 1 Corinthians 13. We, uh, the last few weeks, well before, I think before we uh, left to go to the States, Linda and I, and I were away for three weeks, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, we felt led to start a series on redeeming relationships and uh, we've been laying a, a bit of a foundation with Redeemer Coast. We've, we've did some uh, lessons on the Word of God. We did a series on the Holy Spirit and now we're doing one on relationships, and uh, it just felt uh, impressed in God to lay that foundation about that um, before we move on. So it's a very solid foundation we're going to do. We're going to take our time. There's so much. We started with forgiveness, and we've moved on to, to love. Everyone say love. Thank you very much. And, uh, but I would like to, you understand, we take, uh, you know, 35 or so minutes every uh, Sunday to sit around the Word of God and feed on Him and to learn from Him. I would like to say there's not a lot you can cover in, in that time. Um, and so um, I can't always sort of um, present the other side of it or um, totally qualify everything I say. But I did feel impressed to qualify a few things today because of something I said last week and something I said weeks ago. Uh, and the first thing is about forgiveness. Um, the role of forgiveness in our lives uh, is most effective in that it releases us from feeling uh, people uh, have hurt us and that people owe us something because they've hurt us. And if we learn to adopt the forgiveness that God has bestowed on us and to turn that around and apply it to people that have hurt us, then we will walk in a freedom much greater than if we are not able to forgive people. Now, if we, um, that doesn't mean necessarily that they've received that forgiveness. Um, in the same way that God was in Christ Jesus, redeeming the world to, the, to himself, not holding their sins against them. So in Christ, when Christ died on the cross, he was re reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them. That freed God to walk in love towards them, to not treat people as if we owe him something and to manifest grace in our lives. But that doesn't mean everyone that Jesus died for is going to walk in that. You understand that? So forgiving someone primarily frees us, you understand, to walk in a healthier, more meaningful relationship, more of a love relationship. That doesn't mean that they're not still accountable for whatever they've done. You understand? but it frees us from having them owe us, yeah. all right? 
Because we don't want to walk in relationships on that basis. We don't want to go around thinking, that person owes me for this. I'm not going to forgive them until they pay them back. That person owes me for that. I'm not going to forgive them until they repent. That, I mean, what a, what a screwed up, messed up life that would be. Uh, how is that not? How is that? That's the antithesis of the love of God. And, and it means that we are held uh, captive to their repentance. You understand? And we're not to be held, we're not to be embittered. It also means that our source of love comes from him rather than from them. All right? Our source of identity of who we are, the fact that we can turn around and then walk and turn and apply forgiveness to them. That does not mean also that there's necessarily reconciliation. There's a degree of it in that we can relate to them without spite, without malice. But that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to trust them again. Do you understand? Um, trust them to the extent that we, you know, having been run over by a truck, do you go and stand on the highway again? <laughs> right? Okay. And so there, there are people in my life who I have loved dearly and I've held very highly and they've continually let me down in some areas and I love on them, I believe in them, I'm believing the best for them, but that doesn't mean I'm going to put me or my family in that situation again. Okay? Now, likewise with love. Um, love. Part of love is believing the best in people. Part of love is enduring, the God kind of love. Okay? Um, love never fails. The love of God has never been to a divorce court, not the love of God. All right? But that doesn't mean that you're, um, because you're showing love to someone, okay, that doesn't mean that uh, you, again, are bound by them and their feelings to you, okay? So if people are in a situation, domestic relationships, where there's abuse, uh, where there's manipulation, where there's control, uh, you don't have to necessarily stay in that situation and certainly if it's physical abuse and it's and it's ongoing and that sort of thing uh, we would encourage you not to all right so um, love of God is shared abroad in our hearts and we have through the Holy Spirit is a fruit of the Spirit the ability to give love to walk in love towards people but that doesn't mean that we are enslaved to their sin and to their failings and then and God will move you on if he needs to move you on. You understand? Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right, praise God. So let's read 1 Corinthians. I just felt I needed to qualify that. I can't really you know, cover everything in detail. So it, like most things, you can really go off uh, on a tangent and just keep on going. So much so the love of God, like the love of God, the love of God. And so no one, no one will go to hell even if they're rejecting God. And... Um, I had a comment, so you know we do posts, most week we do posts, and there was a little comment from someone, I don't know if you noticed on one of the posts, and said, well, what kind, you know, if God uh, allows children to be abused and so on and so forth. Well, God, it's not God's will that children get abused. You understand that? But you understand love involves freedom of choice. Love doesn't force people. So I can't force you to walk in love. I can't force Linda to love me. I can force her to pretend. Uh-huh. I can't force her to love me. All right? So God doesn't 
force people to love him. So by necessity, where there is freedom to do something, there's freedom not to do something. So in a world that was created for love, for us, that we're created to, to love and be loved, we're created to love God and to love others, by necessity, there has to be sin. There has to be uh, the ability not to love and to abuse that and to abuse others. That doesn't mean there won't be justice. There will be justice. All right. And as this whole universe plays out, we'll see it. We'll look back and we'll see the wisdom of God. But we need to remember that just as God loves the abused, he loves the abuser. And uh, if any of us have had wayward kids, we've been so blessed with our kids, but I, I know of others that have had wayward kids. They love them just the same. They love them just the same. True? Amen? And much of the time, loving that will help them turn around. Amen. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I find it very interesting that the Apostle Paul is majoring here on love in the middle. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he talks largely about the gifts of the Spirit and operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And I find it interesting that here he, he talks about working of miracles. He talks about speaking in tongues of men and angels. And he infers that no matter what operation of the gifts are happening, whatever miracles are happening, if we're not walking and operating in love, we're as good as nothing. I also find it interesting because we're Pentecostal, right? And we get caught up in, in, you know, like for example, praying in the Spirit. To what extent should that happen in the church? Whether we should do that? Should ladies wear head coverings? Should all these things in there? And, and if you read Corinthians, you can get very confused. Who's got confused? Am I the only one? <laughs> now hang on here. Do, they, do ladies have a cover over the head or do they not? Do you speak in tongues in the church or do you not? Do you prophesy in church or do you not? It's very confusing. It is. It's confusing. And it's very hard sometimes to take a step back and have a look at the actual cultural application in Corinthians of, of that. And if we, did, if we could go back in time and sit in a church in Corinth and see, we, we'd probably think, these people are fruity. These people are whacked. That guy there is living with his mother-in-law. And, and, and yet then they're all prophesying and there's miracles. And we think this is wacky. And, um, but just to give you, I hesitate, just to, but just to give you an indicator. Did you know, for example, that the Greek, in Greek medicine, they believe that hair was part of the sexual organs, all right? Especially ladies' hair, okay? And so because of where they thought the sperm went and where it was stored and because it was hollow, so it was seen part, as part of the sexual organs. And that's Now, so when, when Paul says uh, that, that if the ladies are to have their hair uncovered, that it's offensive, 
That's what he's referring to. Now, who didn't know that? I didn't know it up until I was just doing a unit on, on a, I was doing a unit on my master's a year or so. And I, that explains it. And yet, when you look at it, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, pulls people back all the time, and he says this. He says, if you are spiritual, you will walk in love. And whatever you do in the church, whatever you do in your family, whatever you do in your life, he said, he said prophets, if you consider yourself a prophet and do not understand that you're supposed to walk in love, he said, you're not spiritual. Now, I look forward to the day where we have love conferences, don't you? Now, there's nothing wrong with words of knowledge conferences or healing conferences. I'm into all of those. But I tell you, we will know that the church is mature when there's a love conference on the Sunshine Coast or in Sydney, and we're all booking tickets to it next year. This is a love conference. Brother, I'm going to learn how to walk in love. You know, we'll know that church has matured when we get excited about love. And instead, you know, we're praying about, we're praying about, oh, how am I going to be led in this? Or what, what word, and there's nothing wrong with those things. What word am I going to be? 99 times out of 100, maybe not that much, but most of the time, walk in love. Answer to a thousand and one questions in any situation is walk in love. Treat them. Um, love is always desiring the best for the other person in spite of or without taking account as to what they can give back to you. And so the Holy Spirit here starts to describe love. And he goes on and says, If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. And then he does a description of what love looks like in action. This is the Holy Spirit said, so this is how you recognize what love looks like. And I find it interesting, if you have a look, he starts with love is patient, and stop there, and goes down to verse 7, he says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he starts, he bookends love, says love is patient. Now that means um, love puts up with a lot of crap, all right? Love and, and without changing. All right? So he just keeps on loving that person when everything looks like it's going the wrong way. Love, the God kind of love, will still not change in that aspect towards that person. And then he describes that love is kind. Love, love, uh, love is kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, not acting unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own. It does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in righteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And all those things are what love does when opposition comes against it. And then he goes back and he says, it's prepared to bear all things, it's prepared to believe the best, believe all things, and it hopes all things, and endures all things. Well, that tells me this. That tells me that there's, in our life, there's going to be a lot of things that come and oppose the love of God in our life, that work against the love of God in our life. Now, who knows that not every morning when you wake up, you're an angel? Uh, or perhaps at the end of the day. So there's things that are going to oppose the love of God in our life, working in our life. Jesus said in John chapter 13, when he was summing up his ministry, and he takes the disciples aside, towards the end of his earth life, and he recounts the important things 
Who knows, he, he actually he didn't talk about healing. He didn't talk about tongues and interpretation. He didn't talk about prophecy. Didn't talk about signs and wonders. Didn't talk about gold falling from the sky and feelings. Didn't talk about anything like that. He majored on two things. One, being led by the Holy Spirit. And two, walking in love. And at the start of it, he gave his commandment, which sums up all the Old Testament, sums up all the commandments. And he says, this is my commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. In this, they will know that you are my disciples. In this, they will know that you are following in my footsteps, that you look like me. In this, when, when you love one another as I have loved you, you'll look like me. You'll go into situations and you'll act like I would act. They'll know your disciples. That tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me Number one step to evangelism is to treat people in love. True? Number one step. Number two, it tells me that there's different types of love. Because he says, this is my commandment that I give unto you, that you will love one another as I have loved you. Now, if there were different types of love or different ways of understanding and looking at love, then he wouldn't have to qualify that by saying, as I have loved you, would I? It would just be love. There's just, there's just love. There's love. Now, I know there's different types of love. Because I've seen Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Who's seen Sleepless in Seattle? There's a poster in Sleepless in Seattle, and it's like, is it Hanks, Tom Hanks? He's standing there, and he's looking at Meg Ryan, any, no, any movie that's got Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan is a good movie. Can I, do I get an amen? amen. No, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Chloe. You're blessed. All right. Now, Tom Hanks, he's had a different experience in his life. about His wife's died and all that sort of stuff. You know the story. And you look at this poster and he's sitting there and, and his question he's asking on his face is, you know, is this real? Can I ever love again? And she's sitting there, she's never really had love, right? And she's sitting there, and the fan is blowing her hair back like this. And she's like, oh, I love. I love. She's in for a rude shock. They get married, she's in her, don't you know she's in her for a rude shock? She is, she's in rude. See, all the married people said, I'm in, she's in for a rude shock. Okay, nudge the husband next year. She's in for a rude shock about what love is. Because there's the type of love that the world has, and there's the type of love that God has. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're born again, we receive the nature of God. It's in us. If you're born again, it's very hard for you to say, I hate someone. Try it sometime. You'll feel the Holy Spirit within you. It doesn't feel right. It's very hard to gossip about someone if the Holy Spirit, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. 
in Galatians, it says the fruits of the Spirit are, and it starts with love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. It starts with, so often happens with the Bible, with the Word of God, the most important one, love. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a different type of love to what the world has. N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican bishop. I think he's still a bishop uh, in England. He tells a story about another bishop, a Catholic bishop, who tells a story. So I'm telling a story about N.T. Wright's story, about another bishop's story is telling a story. <laughs> Follow that? It's got to be true. <laughs> no, I've read it in a book. That's two things. He tells a story that this bishop, a Catholic bishop, tells about these three boys that come into the confessional and they thought they'll provoke this priest and they start listing all these things that they've gone done wrong. They just keep listing all these things. And the first one comes in, does it. Second one comes in, does it. Third one comes in and by the end of it, the, third, the priest is starting to get the idea here. So he stops the boy and he says to him, son, go out of the confessional down. I want you to kneel down in front of the cross of Jesus. And of course, like every good Catholic church, there's a cross, there's a cross with Jesus still on it. You know, nails in his hand. He said, I want you to tell Jesus. I want you to look at what he did for you, and I want you to tell Jesus all these things, just like you're telling me. So the boy goes down to the front of the church, and he kneels down in front of Jesus. As far as we know, this is a true story. And he starts to, to recount all those things he's done, things that he's pretending he's done, things that he's done to mock what Jesus did for him. And the boy says, I couldn't finish. I got halfway through it, I started to weep. When I saw what Jesus had done for me, I started to weep. And the Catholic bishop says this, I know this to be true, because that boy was me. All right? And when we know the love of God, not the love of this world, but we know the love of God in us, then we'll treat people differently. Because we'll treat them like we've been treated. And as we meditate on that love, not how we're abused as kids and all these horrible things, but as we meditate and allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind and renew our hearts, we'll learn to treat people with the love of God. So Jesus said, uh, they shall know you love one another as I have loved you. Now, um, one thing about the love of God is that it, it perseveres, it endures. So when things come against it, it's prepared to look past those things. It's prepared to look beyond those things and see that person like God sees that person. I uh, read another uh, story, that, that, um, another account from Tim Keller. Tim Keller's uh, the founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. He's just resigned and if you can get any of his stuff, especially on grace and Christ, it's really good stuff, even though he's Presbyterian. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit moves in Presbyterians, Presbyterians? You know, I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit is the best interpreter of culture I know. Like, I went to a Lutheran church twice while we were away, and, and you know what? The Holy Spirit was moving. Didn't the Holy Spirit know they were Lutherans? I mean, really. And people were getting saved, and people were loving on each other. All right? That's how you know the Holy Spirit's moving there. They're loving on each other. Not they're speaking in tongues, not they're prophesying, not that there's gold dust coming down. They're loving on each other. It was beautiful. 
Anyway, Tim Keller tells the story, and it's actually the story. It's in his sermon, uh, Immigrant's Tale. And it's a story which is his wife's grandparents' story. Um, his wife actually had a, a, relation, a uh, friendship with C.S. Lewis. She would write to C.S. Lewis, and he'd write back, and she'd write a number of letters. And he wrote back to her just weeks before he died. But she tells the story of how her, parent, her grandparents moved to the States. And I believe it was from Eastern, Eastern Europe, one of the Eastern European countries. But uh, her grandfather got married to grandmother and they had a child and then they decided they wanted to make a better life themselves. So they, they packed, he packed up what they could afford and he moved to the States by himself, without her. Like, I go a few days without Linda, I'm crumbling. I tell you, I am a write-off. I'm useless. I'm wasted. I really, I am. I start making stupid decisions. I do. It's like, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the decisions I make, Ethan's going to be, quick, get Linda. <laughs> so he left and he traveled and he understand like turn of last century or even the early in the 19th century, 1800s, late 1800s, that there wasn't, there wasn't planes, there was barely trains, there weren't automobiles. That'd make a good movie, don't you think? Planes, trains, automobiles. There were none of those, so he had to probably train across to a port on, in the west of Europe and then take the, the, the steamship across the Atlantic, go into Ellis Island in New York, where the Statue of Liberty is, go through customs, and then he got on a train and he headed out west and he got off at a town he'd never heard of and then made a life. Found a job, saved up, bought some land, built a house, and when he was ready, and he'd saved up enough uh, for his tickets for his wife and his one child, and he put them, he went and bought them, put them in the post, and sent them back. I mean, how's that for love that endures? Can you imagine what it would have been like those weeks and months? And I, I think it went over into well past a year, and Contact would to get contact between each other would be would be months. When Linda and I were first engaged, we've only been engaged once. But when we were first engaged, all right, uh, guys, there was no such thing as email. I know that's shocking. There's no such thing as email. Can you believe it? Okay, uh, I I had to write her a letter, and this was 1987. We're living in Canberra, 1987. I had to write her a letter, and then you'd go and put the stamp. See, so stamp is one of the things you lick. You put that on it, all right, and you put it on this, and you'd write on the envelope, and you'd put it in the mail, and you'd it to her. And it would take over a week to get to New Zealand. It would go, I don't know why, it's a three hour flight, but it would take a week to get to New Zealand. And of course, then she'd get it, and she'd open it. You, what you do is you get a little knife, and you open the top, and you open There's a letter in there, paper, you read it. <laughs> and she'd read it, and then, of course, Linda's never rushed about anything, those of you who know her, you know, so a few days later, or a week later, she'd write, it'd be three weeks before I heard back from her. Who knows, that just won't do. <laughs> so I had to call her. Now we've got a phone, Linda's been on the phone a couple times to her dad this week in the States, and we've got this thing, $2 extra a month, it's like unlimited hours to America, but it was like dollars a minute. Dollars, like $5 a minute. Can you imagine what my phone bill was like? <laughs> I'm talking like five, six, seven hundred dollars. That's about fifty thousand in today's dollars. 
I was a teacher, I was on twenty-something thousand dollars a year. Less, I think, less. Like sixteen, seventeen thousand. We had a six, seven hundred dollar phone bill. Go and ask the guy at CCC. He's a what's his name? One of the pastors there. He was my it was my flatmate there. He opened it. He had talk about phone shock. Can you imagine these guys? He's months and months, and, and finally she gets a letter from him. You know, it's going, I've found a place to live. And, and, then, and then six months, 12 months later, she gets another letter. And in that letter, this is his wife, is the tickets, the transatlantic tickets, some money to catch a train, and the name of the town she had to go to. So she sells everything, says her farewells, grabs her child. That would have taken weeks. Goes across Europe gets on this slow boat to the Atlantic. True story. This is Tim, Tim Keller's wife's grandparents. Goes into Ellis Island, goes through the immigration there, gets on a train and goes west. And as she's pulling into this train, can you imagine it? Can you imagine how nervous she was? We were, Linda and I, I told some of you the story, Linda and I were engaged after nine days. We met her nine days. She was over here, uh, over in, in Australia on a conference. Actually, I asked her out of, after five or six days, I can't remember, and uh, she said yes, eventually. She hadn't met my parents, so we didn't announce it for nine days. You don't want to rush into these things. <laughs> All right? Now, when she went back to New Zealand, I do not recommend that, right? I do not recommend that. Okay? Anyone else? Do not recommend that, okay? And she went back and, um, why am I telling this? Oh yeah, I was so nervous. I, had to, I was working for uh, C3 Christian City Church back then. When I say working, I wasn't getting any money. I was just doing the work. So I had to go and get a job putting fiberglass in one of the tall buildings that's in the middle of Canberra. And I loved that job because I could put on Jenny Grind on my earphones, Christian songs, and all day I'd just be putting putting uh, fiberglass in there, you know. But it was, it was like six, eight weeks before I had enough money, one, to buy the engagement ring, and two, to buy the ticket over. Now, when you've only known someone for nine days, you forget what they look like. <laughs> you do. But don't worry, I had a cure for this. I had a photo of her, and I put it under my pillow. And at night, I'm telling you the truth. Last thing I'd see before I turn the light off was this. I'd, I'd, I'd lie there like that. Isn't love beautiful? And I'd sit there like this, and I'd hold her in front of my face like that, and, and I'd just look at her, and I'd go, right, that's it. And I'd tuck it under, and I'd roll over, and go to sleep one more day till I see her. One more day till I see her. And that day came. And we caught the bus to Sydney, got on the got on the, my mum came up with me because her little boy was getting married and I caught on this plane and I'm flying over and you know what, I was about one hour of Auckland and this terrible thought happened to me. I've forgotten what she looks like. I'd forgotten what she looks like. I had, I'd forgotten what she looks like. I think I've told you this. So I pulled out the photo like this and I'm going through immigration, I got this photo, I got to pick up my bag, go through immigration, I'm coming out like this and I got this little photo. You know, in those days you'd go through uh, out this door and then there was a walkway you'd walk around the other way and then everyone's on the other side of the walkway and I'm coming up queue like this and I'm going around the walkway like this because it would be embarrassing going up to the wrong girl don't you think wouldn't it you know <laughs> just a tad embarrassing right and so and then I, I see her 
She was down the back. And I don't know how this works, but the sun was rising behind her head. And the aura on the golden hair came out like, that's just true. You kind of, and, you know, I went up and I held her hands and her hands were, were cold with sweat. She was so nervous at seeing me. And she'd got a flat tire on the way there. And she thought she was going to miss me. I was late, you know. And she had the same problem. She forgot what I looked like. <laughs> and it's just as well I had the photo because I went up to her. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And we're in for a shock as to what love is and how you've got to apply love in relationships. We're in for a shock. So Tim Keller's wife's mother's on this train and she pulls into this station. Can you imagine the thoughts she hadn't seen him, I think it was for close to two years. Can you imagine the thoughts? Will he be there? And then she saw a yellow ribbon around that last night. <laughs> you know the song? Tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's been three long years. That's it. Do you still love me? And she looked out across the platform and sitting on a horse and buggy was her husband. After all these years, she arrived at the train station and he was sitting there waiting for her. And eventually she asked him, how did you know I was coming today? He said, sweetie, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm not cracking up, I'm just losing my voice. He said, sweetie, you didn't know. Every day he mounted that, that put the horse on the buggy Every day he got dressed in his Sunday best. Every day he rode that buggy to the train station because he believed that one day she was going to turn up. Love is patient. Love endures. Love's always prepared to believe this is the God kind of life kind of love but who knows that that is often not our reality when we were in the states recently we i couldn't believe the amount of our family that was like on their second and third marriage or well, the marriage has failed and they hadn't found anyone else and that i couldn't believe it a minister friend of ours tells a story of, uh, he was lecturing the Bible college in uh, Raymer in the States and a young lady comes up to him and she says to him, I've fallen out of love with my husband. What am I going to do? Which itself is unusual. What can I do, she says, because it's unusual because most times when people are going through hard times, it's like, I've fallen out of my husband, what can he do? Or I've fallen out of love with, with uh, my wife, what can she do? But she said, I've fallen out of love uh, with my husband. What can I do? And he said, I'm used to just saying, Let's not, well, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. And he said, that bugged me because I'd heard it that often. He said, I'm going to get in the Word, I'm going to pray, I'm going to get back to you. And he says he went into the Word. He said, you know, I didn't find anywhere in the Word where it says you can fall out of love. Didn't find anywhere. Now, you would think... Because it's such an important topic. 
But if you're just going to bang fall out of love, like you're bang falling out of a helicopter. I don't know where I got that picture. <laughs> like all of a sudden, whoop, whoop, trip over, bang. I'm out of love. You wake up one morning, I'm out of love. You'd think that would be in there, wouldn't you? You'd think it would be in there. And yet we have lots of people, I'm not just talking about marriage, all sorts of relationships where they come to a point they realize, I no longer love this person. I don't feel I no longer love this person. So he said, I got stuck into the word. He said, I didn't find one time where it says you can fall out of love. He says, what I did find is the Bible says your love can wax cold or your love can wane cold and you can leave your first love. And there's assaults on our love life. There's always assaults on our relationships. Jesus said, in the end times, there'll be a great falling away where people will find it hard to love because of the great iniquity in the world. And their love will, one translation says, it'll wax cold, it'll wane cold. The word there means that there'll be a chilling effect on love, like this cool breeze will blow on this candle to the flame flickers and dies. And Jesus identified the iniquity that is in the world. So distractions... The way the world talks about love and the way the world deals with love in movies, in books, the way the world talks about relationships, uh, the Bible says it's lawless, it's iniquity. That's not the way God talks about love. And one of the biggest assaults on love is to start thinking about love the way the world thinks about it. To start, I, I, I love this person because of what they can do for me. I love this person because what, what, how they make me feel. And we even talk about that. Like we say now, I love my car. Uh, you know, I love my dog. And what you really mean is that car makes me feel good. You know, it makes me feel sharp. It makes me feel smooth. It runs on a dime or, it, you know, it's got this V8 supercharged engine. I, I love it. And, and that's the love the world has. I love this thing because it makes me feel a way. Or it makes me look a particular way. But that's not the love of God. That, that's, that's investing in an object, something that make, to make you feel this way. And you become a slave to that object. And we become so entrenched in that way of viewing love that when this person stops, stops making us feel good or look good, then all of a sudden we wake up and we think we're falling out of love. But it wasn't love. Not the God kind of love. And Jesus said to, to look at love the way, the way the world, because of the iniquity that the world has, that, and he's talking about believers, they'll fall away. And then in Revelations 2, Revelations 2, Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus is going strong. He says, you're doing all the right, you know, you're doing this, you're still, yeah, you're, you're, you hate wrong doctrine, you're doing this and you're doing that. He says, but this I have against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. So the Bible tells at least two ways that we can abandon the love of God in our life. One, start thinking about love like the world thinks about it. Start looking at love as, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, love on this person 
if they can supply me a good feeling or if they look good or if they cook a good meal. Now I have to confess, my kids say to me, why would you marry mum? And I said, because she's cute. All right? But when we, when we withhold love because of how they're treating us, that's not God kind of love. And Revelation says, you've left your first love. And then he says, then God says this interesting thing. He says the Revelations. I had to look at this. I had to really think about it. Because he says, return to your first works. Of course, you know, we're a grace faith church. We're allergic to the expression works. It's like it creates a rash, you know, because this rash comes up when someone says works. <laughs> but here Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, return to your first works. And that, you know, bugged me. Because actually he says to them, you're doing this right, and you're doing that right, and you're doing that right, and you're doing that right, but you have left your love for me. And what they were doing had become this religious work instead of done out of love for, for, for God and out of love for Jesus. And he condemned them for that. And he said, if you keep going that way, your lampstand's going to be taken away. If you keep going that way, you, you, you won't be living the life of victory that I have for you. If you keep thinking that this relationship with me is about works, so return to your first works. And I thought about that. Because I remembered when I was first saved. Who remembers when they first saved? I remember when I first saved. Man, I couldn't get enough of God. I had my little Bible, a little white good news Bible. And it was white. No one else had a white Bible. My word was special. And, and you know, I treasured it. I read it. I went to every Bible study I could go to. I got all the fellowship I could go to. I went and I found other Christians in my school and this, that and the other and that. And I hooked up with them and, and went to youth group, Presbyterian youth group on corner of Gladesville up there in Sydney. The first day there was, there, there was me and the pastor. That's it. You know, so that's all right. I was invited my friends and there was this passion I had. That were my first works. And you remember when you fall in love. What did you do when you fell in love? How did you treat each other? How did you speak about each other? Did you criticize each other? That wouldn't have lasted long, would it? I remember. I first fell in love with Linda. I got dressed up good. I tell you what, as good as I could. She didn't have to. She looked good anyway. I got dressed up good, best I can. I was on my best behavior. I was on, uh, you know, I said, you look lovely today. You know, Linda, you know, I didn't have the T.L. Osborne accent when I said it, but that's all right. I said, you look lovely today. She said, thank you, you know. And, and I was on, and I, I invited her out to dinner I phoned her up I said would you like to come out with me for a meal she said no <laughs> she did she said no but did I let that stop me no I invite her out again Jesus said return to your first works return to your first works how did you treat them did you criticize them our first date she was so nervous she, I think there was those round potatoes on the plate like that were on the lakeside in Canberra out there and she tried to put a fork on it and went pew 
<laughs> she was so nervous, but she valued and she honored that. And if we're to return to our first love that we had for God, we need to think about what we did when we were so thankful for him saving us. When we were so thankful how we honored him and we spoke about him in, in, in reverence terms about how good God has been for me. You know, and the church in Ephesus, apparently they got so caught up with religion that they had left their first love. The love of God needs to be nurtured. The love of God needs to be protected in our life. If we're to have this love of God, we need to honor it. We need to, to value it. We need to not let the world corrupt it. We need to treasure the pure love of God. And we need to act like it. So this uh, minister friend of mine said, he, he phoned up the little girl. He said, come and talk to me. So she came in, sat in the office at Rayma, and she said to him, what is it? What do I have to do? And she said, he said to her, do you remember what it was like when you were first dating? She said, yeah, I remember. Remember what it was like when you were first dating? Just pretend you're first dating. Just act like you're first dating. Act like that, that, that he's the best thing since sliced bread. He said, can you do that? She said, I can do that. So she went away, started treating him like he was a champion, like he was the king. Guys, you need to treat your girls like they're the princess. They wake up in the morning and say, you're looking beautiful today. And I say it sincerely. You might like to wait until they put a little bit of makeup on. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with an old barn, but sometimes even an old barn needs paint. True? Okay. Because they might think you're more sincere. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. You know? <laughs> Treat them. Treat them as though you love them. And do you know what? You'll start loving them again. Treat strangers as though you love them. Treat them. They'll know you're sincere about it. The love of God shed abroad in our heart. We need to not look at what the world talks about love. Not think about the conditions and values of what that person can, how that person can make me feel. But we need to operate in the love of God towards that person. And they will thrive, they will grow, they will prosper, they will rise up. And nine times out of ten, they will be beautiful towards me, and they'll, towards you. And they'll start to love you again, you know. And uh, people give up on relationships. Give up. We're not to give up on our spouses. We're not to give up on our children. We're not to give up on our friends. Remember one time we were having a Barney, man. We were having a big Barney, Linda and I. Huge Barney. We just couldn't resolve it. It was going for like an hour, hour and a half. It was on and on and on. And we'd got to the stage where I had got to the stage and she'd got to the stage. We were going to stand here and have this Barney till we worked it out. We couldn't work it out. I remember she was sitting on the bed. This was at our house in the hinterland. She was sitting on the bed. I looked at her. And I remembered the girl I fell in love with. You know, the other day was uh, Lauren's, my eldest's birthday, 25, and Linda pulled out all these photos of when the kids and movies. We sat there and looked at her, and I looked at this beautiful person. I, thought, I fell in love with that girl. She's beautiful. 
And so she's sitting on the bed. She's crying. I'm crying. This is when we're having this fight. And I said to her, honey, I want this to work. And she broke down. She said, I want it to work too. I want it to work too. And that changed everything. We still had the sorcery stuff, but if I knew that she loved me and she just wanted this to work, and she knew I loved her, and I want it to work. And you know, when you're first dating, the first love is you want it to work, don't you? You do everything to make it work. So let's take our opportunity this week to fall in love with God again. Amen? Fall in love with Him again. Take that time. Get up early. Get up early. Or stay late. Or just go for that walk and talk to Him and just fall in love with Him. Just do the things like you said to the church. Do the things you did at the start. Remind him of his great love for you. And he'll remind you of the forgiveness and the love he has for you. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com. Or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.